born to die that he might give eternal life that I might live Welcome to Yankee Arnold Ministries. Dr. Arnold will be with you in just a moment, but first, we want you to know how much we appreciate your prayers and financial support. You may help this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Again, that's 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Feel free to send Dr. Arnold your questions or comments to yankee at yankeearnold.com, and he will respond as quickly as possible. Now, here is Dr. Arnold with today's message. But now notice, he says, we despaired even of life. We had the sentence of death upon us. And then look at the next part. That we should not trust in ourselves. You know why sometimes God will bring you to the end of yourself? So that you will see that you cannot trust yourself. That you cannot deliver yourself at all times. You don't have all the wisdom. You're not the smartest man in the world. You don't have all the, you know, the right techniques to say and do everything that's just perfectly. You'll find out you're, you're weak. Like Moses prayed, Lord, go ahead and kill me so that I will not see how wicked I really am. Because he had a temper problem. Moses had an anger problem. And so he had to go to anger management class. God had to teach him on the backside of a desert for about 40 years. And then didn't allow him to go into the promised land. He allowed him to see it, but he couldn't enter in because of his anger problem. Because he got bitter. He got bitter at the people. Got bitter at God. He just—he was a bitter man. So as you go through your life, that's why Paul made the statement that I may finish my course with joy. Well, joy and bitterness is two different things. And so some people are going through life and they're as bitter as can be because of all the troubles that they have. Things that happens to them. And mostly because you can't control it, but you knew God could. And God could have stopped those things and so you take it out on God. You don't might not say that. But in your mind, you think that because is God in charge or not? God may believe or insinuate you need to learn a lesson. And uh, I gave a little statement to the college kids the other day. I think it was on Friday morning. I says, humility is truly trusting the Lord. Trusting the Lord. And the right words, I hear, godly humility is cheerfully being in subjection to God's will. Godly humility is cheerfully being in subjection to God's will. So some people will obey the will of God, but reluctantly. Well, I have to, instead of cheerfully in obedience. Humility is not a position of the body, it's the position of the mind. Do you really believe God and trust God? So God will allow things to happen in our life and to realize we are limited. 
And if God doesn't intervene, then I've got to just go through it and I can't do anything about it. And so sometimes that's why he says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lay not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee. Trust ye in the Lord Jehovah forever for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Trust in the Lord. Even though it seems like there's nothing else that you can do. Now look what he says. In verse 10, there's three things. Who delivered us from the past, doth deliver at the present, yet will deliver at in the future. And so understanding that he says this, and this is why we don't sometimes see the importance of it. But in verse 11, ye also helping together by prayer for us. Helping together by prayer for us. So Paul is letting them know, They helped them get through these difficult times because they were praying for them. So this is why we believe that prayer is so important for others, even though we don't understand how prayer works. That's why we're supposed to be more concerned with knee mail instead of email. Well, look there in chapter 2, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And notice what it says here. In verse 11, lest Satan should get an advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices. So as you serve the Lord in all these troubles and difficult times, do you ever think that, you know, maybe you have been counted worthy of the devil's <laughs> attention? Well, I don't want his attention. Um, like we're talking about the Apostle Paul, he says the demons that was cast us as uh Jesus we know, and Paul we know, but uh, he's like, who, who are you? Who are you? I would hate to think that I have lived upon this earth for 75 years, and the devil don't know who I am. The devil don't know me. Surely I've made some kind of a mark. Surely somewhere along the line, I've made him mad enough to want to stop me. So you are going to serve the Lord, and the devil is like a roaring lion. He's seeking whom he may devour. The devil's hungry. And he devours. He wants to gobble up your whole life, ruin your whole life, get you away from the things of the Lord. And next thing you know, you have been devoured by, you know, giving them your time and you gave them your life. So these are things to think about. Now look what else he said. Look in verse 12. In verse 12, for as, furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel and a door was opened unto me, of the Lord. A door was open unto me. So I try to make sure that the college kids understand that as you serve the Lord, trust the Lord to open up a door. And all you have to do is don't get a sledgehammer and try to break down the doors. You may find out you'll go through a door God didn't want you to go through. God has a way of opening up doors of opportunity. But when you read in 1 Corinthians in chapter 15, or chapter 16, it says, and uh, there was a great door, but great adversaries. There's things that are going to happen that try to hinder you from being successful in doing what God wants you to do. And so he says, a door was opened unto me because of the Lord in heaven. Now take your Bible and turn there to the book of, uh, uh, let's see, look in verse Chapter 6 and verse 4. Chapter 6. You'll notice in chapter 6, 
verse 1 makes a statement, we then as workers together, and a lot of times we think we're doing the, the work for the Lord. I'm doing this for the Lord. Uh, it's better probably to say we're doing this with the Lord. We are laborers together with the Lord. So it's not like I've got a work that I want to get done and I'm going to do this for the Lord. And God said, yeah, but I want you to do this. Well, I'm going to do this for you. Yeah, but I want uh, there's a man by the name of Saul in the Old Testament that had a problem with that. He was told by Samuel what to do. So he knew the will of God. But he said, I did this for the Lord and I did this for the Lord. And he says, weren't you told to do this? Yes, but the people. Yeah, God bless him. Uh, by the way, he didn't live too long after that. Because he, um, he violated the will of God. And sometimes there's people who want to serve the Lord according to their own standard. Uh, according to what they want to do. Instead of just saying, Lord, whatever you have, whatever you want me to do, that's what I'm willing to do. So now notice what he says down here in verse 4. See then verse 4? But in all things, approving ourselves, and get this, as the ministers of God... In much patient. I never did like that word. In affliction. I'm not too familiar with that one. I guess I should say I am. In necessities. In distress. Wait, wait a minute. I have to be found faithful in these moments. Whenever you don't have what you want when you want it. You need the patience so you didn't get something. You didn't get to be something. The timing is not right yet. God makes you wait. True faithfulness to the Lord is remaining faithful when it appears that God has let you down. And there'll be times when you'll swear, God has failed me. God let me down. God doesn't fail. He never fails. You may not be worthy to be blessed. You ever think of that? If God chastens us for our disobedience, well, maybe you've been disobedient in areas, but you're ignorant of it. Why do you think the Bible says over and over again? I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. Why? Because there's so many ignorant brethren. There's so many of God's children that don't know. And so they're not in full obedience to the Lord because they're not knowledgeable about what God wants them to do. So is ignorant bliss? I don't think so. Now look what else he says in verse 5. In stripes, imprisonment. Wait a minute. I don't mind this serving the Lord, but going to prison? I mean, uh, there ought to be something else. I don't mind just staying at the, you know, the Holiday Inn and uh, having banquets and all the good stuff. But, man, these bad things, I don't like all these bad things. But he says, this is what the Christian life is about. Uh, look in Hebrews chapter 12. The book of Hebrews in chapter 12. This is a very familiar portion of Scripture. We're always trying to help God's people to realize that obedience to the Lord is very important. And not to be obedient to the Lord is great consequences. And so we consider the 12th chapter of Hebrews as a disciplinary measure. In other words, where God renders discipline to those who fail in serving the Lord. In other words, if you're going to be in a race, you ought to run. And if you're going to run, well, you ought to win. But now notice in verse 1. Wherefore, seeing 
we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, many believe that this great cloud of witnesses is all these Old Testament saints who have already gone before us, and maybe now they're in heaven watching us. Would you like it, and you're trying to live by faith, and there's Abraham up there and says, you think that's rough. You should have been where I was told to kill my son. Or Noah. <laughs> you think you're having it rough? You ought to see. I had to work for 120 years building a boat and never seen water or rain. You think your faith been challenged? Or hey, there's Moses up there. He looks down there and says, look, I was on the backside of a desert for 40 years. And God told me, one man, to go down into Egypt and tell Pharaoh, let all my people go. You want, you want to try some of your living by faith? He said, you think you got it hard? And you, you read all those things in the 11th chapter. And, but it says they didn't quit. All the things that happened, but they didn't quit. They kept serving the Lord. And Abraham, God told him to go to a place that he'd never been before. And he says, if he knew how to get back where he came from, he would have went. He didn't know how to get back. See there in verse 15 of chapter 11. Truly, truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. Well, they didn't know how to get back because they just followed the Lord until he got them to the place over there in the land of Canaan. And says, every place you put your foot, he says, all this belongs to you now. And so, in verse 1 of chapter 12, he says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Now, this is the Christian. This is the Christian life. This is what God wants us to do now that we know him as our Savior. And, get this, the sin which does so easily beset us. So you're supposed to set aside the sin which does so easily beset us. Now, as you read the whole book of Hebrews, you'll find out the sin is the sin of unbelief. You see, it's the sin of unbelief that keeps people from going to heaven. And it's the sin of unbelief that keeps Christians from entering into the so-called promised land here. Talking about trying to get into the promised land. Remember, they wandered in the wilderness. So many of God's children... A wandering through the wilderness. And it was only 11 days journey from Cadiz Barnea into the promised land. 11 days journey. And they took 40 years to make the journey. 40 years to go 11 days. And the reason is because of their unbelief. You see, they went into the land. They sent some spies in and they came back. And some of them had some bad tales to tell all they could see was the problems. They're giants. We're little grasshoppers. Oh, yeah, the fruit's there. But you ought to see those people. And so they discouraged the people. There was only two out of 12 that believed they could take the land. And that's because they believed what God said. Ten of them soured the people. The people murmured and complained. And so God says, okay, because of your unbelief. You're going to wander around in the wilderness. And all those are 20 years and old and up, you're going to die. So for 40 years, that generation of people, they were all dying. And finally, when they got ready to go into the promised land, you remember two guys? What was their names that went into the land? 
Joshua and Joshua and Caleb. They got to go. Joshua and Caleb. Caleb was about 85 after they finally got into the land. And he says, I want that mountain. And 85 years old, he wanted a place where the giants were. He still thought he could take them. Man still had a vision. He was only 85 years old. And uh, he knew that man named Carl Dick down there in Sarasota. He knew who he was. They're both about the same age. How old are you now? How old are you? 89. 89. Well, he's older than Caleb was. But you'll notice, he says in the last part of verse 1, and the sin which does so easily beset us is not believing God, not trusting the Lord. Talking about after you're saved, in this period of time, God's got us to live. And that's because the sin of unbelief keeps you from growing as a Christian. Because you don't trust the Lord. You don't believe what God's word says. You can't mature. You mature by getting some of the milk of the word and letting it do its job. And you begin to grow thereby. So then you can go stronger and stronger and stronger. This is what he's talking about in the book of uh, Hebrews chapter 5. But here. He says in verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. is who you began with and it's who you should finish with. Finish your race. Finish your course. Let the Lord run with you in your race. And he says, I'll never leave you and never forsake you. And I will help you so that you've got the, the best runner in all the world. Because Christ came into the world and he ran a race. And he finished this course. Then you'll notice here. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. See those three words? Endured the cross. The Bible tells us in the book of Luke in chapter 14 about bearing our cross. That means that ministry that God's given to us. The ministry. The effects that we have in other people's lives. Being able to influence people. So the power of your life is the power of influence that you have in other people's lives. Some people have no influence in people's lives. It means they have no power. So the more power you have, the more people you can influence. So he says here, Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And there's a lot of shame sometimes, I guess you would say, in serving the Lord. Because in the eyes of people, it doesn't look like everything works out. You're not always on cloud nine. You're not always walking around with a smiley face. You have heaviness at times and burdens that you have to bear. And then do you want to be found faithful doing what God wants you to do? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. In other words, he sat down. Why? Because the work's done. You and I, we, we sit down when the work's done. Well, our work isn't done yet. But the reason that this is thrown in here and about Christ is... Verse 3, when he says, For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against him. So he was a perfect man, and every accusation against him was totally contradictory to his character, to his very nature, to the way he was. They were wrong. They were wicked. And yet he stayed true. So God says, before you quit and give up, he says, I, I want you to consider him. Who endured the cross, despising the shame. And then he says here, 
in the last part of verse 3. You ought to underline. Lest ye be wearied and faint in your mind. Winning and losing, succeeding and failing is all in your mind. Your success and your failures, your defeats, starts right there. You're either going to be found faithful or not faithful. Your decisions, where you think, make up your mind. And that's why he says, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Your mind, that you may prove or discover what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God for your life. So you want to develop a way of thinking that helps you to be strong in the Lord. And that's why he says, you think you have it hard. You think you've really got it bad. Verse 4 says, hey, look, you may have had it, but have you, um, have you suffered unto death yet? <laughs> if you're still alive. Have you suffered unto death yet? He says, striving against sin. You have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And you've forgotten something. You've forgotten something. This is why we have a communion service once a month. Because we want to get people to remember Something to remember because there's things they forget. And so um, I got some notes for you this morning. I hope that you'll uh, appreciate them. They, they're not the best, but they'll kind of give you an idea of the thoughts that I've got in my mind as we go through this. Look up here just a moment. I just thought of a good illustration that might work. This hand represents you and me. Now, please watch what I'm doing. This is not a time to put everything away. Don't, don't move around and start scuffling things because that draws attention to you. And the one that's watching you is me. <laughs> and it makes me forget what I'm going to say. And you don't want to do that because then I have to repeat myself and go another half hour. This is you and me. This is sin. We all have sin on us. Everybody is a sinner because God says so. He says there's no difference. Nobody's better than anybody else. He said, we've all come short of God's perfection. Are you perfect? Are you perfect? Are you perfect? Nobody's perfect. That means you've all come short. We are sinners. And the Bible says to pay for sin is eternal separation from God in hell. But you see, God loves us. Doesn't want us to go to hell. But he can't let us go to heaven the way we are. If we went to heaven the way we are, we'd lie and steal and cheat and rob and all that stuff in heaven. Then heaven won't be heaven. So God says, you can't come unless you're perfect. Okay. What did that just do to the whole human race? Nobody gets to go. Except me and George Washington. <laughs> and he might have told that lie. I don't know. But see, now look. This is you and me. And because of sin, we can't get in. And God says, you cannot earn your way to heaven. Regardless of how good you try to be, you'll never be good enough because you have to be perfect. You got a problem. I got a problem. We all have a problem. And there's only one that can solve the problem. That's why Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. That's why he had to come and have a virgin birth. Be born, have a body without a sinful nature. And he would be a perfect sacrifice to die in our place. So Jesus Christ, who had no sin, did not have to die. So because of his love for us, he took all the sin, not most of it, all the sin of all the world, paid for it on the cross 2,000 years ago, came back from the dead. Our sins have already been paid. The only thing you and I have to do is, will you believe he did it for you? 
If you will believe that he did this for you, God takes and puts this payment to your account, you get to go to heaven. And see, just because the sin's been paid doesn't give you his righteousness. When you believe, his righteousness is put to your account. Our sins are put to his account, but his righteousness is not put to your account until you believe he did it for you. When I believed that years ago, God gave me his righteousness. If he gave me his righteousness and he took my sin, that would make me as righteous as God. I'm going to heaven because of what Christ did for me, not what I do for him. No man has ever lived good enough to earn his way to heaven or woman to. Nobody. And that's why it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever, anybody, believeth in him, should not perish. It means you won't go to hell, but have everlasting life. That's the best news in all the world. So if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, do you believe that he died and paid for your sins, came back from the dead? Do you believe he did it for you? That means you are a child of God. You've trusted Christ as your Savior. That means you're going to heaven when you die. And that's why God says this is a divine command. It's the Lord's table. It's not the pastors. It's not the church. It's the Lord. God wants you to take that little wafer or whatever it is and and take that and remember, he did this for you. He bore your sins on the cross. We do not believe in transubstantiation where this becomes the body of Christ and that becomes the blood of Christ. No, it doesn't. We don't believe that. I believe it's just a piece of bread, and that's some little grape juice, and it's all it is. But it's a picture of the most wonderful thing in all the world. We're going to go to heaven because we believe what Christ did on the cross for us. True? Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around. If you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, friend, would you realize you're going to die one day, and you're going to have to stand before God. And he makes the statement, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. Would you right now believe that when Christ died, that he died for you? Would you believe he did it for you? God said, if you'll believe it, he will give you as a free gift everlasting life. And he'll give you his righteousness. You go to heaven on that, not on yours. You and I will never be good enough. It's the gift. And so if you'll believe he did it for you, he will save you right now. And if you're making that decision... I'd like to know, and I'd like to have prayer for you. And I'm going to ask you in just a moment. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to have you forward. But right where you're sitting, say, Preacher, that made sense to me, and I will right now. I will trust Christ as my Savior. I believe he died for me, and I want to be certain of going to heaven when I die. So right now, I will trust the Lord as my Savior, and I'd like for you to pray for me. Would you just slip your hand up very quickly and put it right back down? Say, anyone at all? Anyone at all? Just slip it up real quick. Anyone at all? Yes, God bless you, honey. I see your hand. Yes, God bless you. Anyone else? Just slip it up real quick and put it right back down. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to come up to you. I'm not going to pin you against the wall. But it's so important. There's no trick to this, no gimmick. So, yes, I will trust Christ as my Savior. Anyone else? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word you give us in your in your word, and we just pray that as we read and study it, it would help and encourage us. And Father, no doubt there's people who have physical ailments, and there's some that may be weak and sick, and 
And we know that as time goes on, people will pass away. But Father, we pray that you'll help us to endure the hardness. Some things are not enjoyable, but help us to trust you and to look to you. And knowing that you'll walk us through and you'll never forget, uh, forsake us. And we thank you for this church and all the things that needs to be done here and things that are being done. We just committed it to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Is it possible to trust Christ as my Savior without making Him Lord of my life? Is it true that if Christ is not Lord of all, He is not Lord at all? Pastor Yankee Arnold has prepared just the right book with answers straight from the Bible. The book is called Gospel Driven Man, and Pastor Yankee wants to send it to you free of charge. Simply write to Pastor Yankee at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634, and request the book. Or write by email at yankee at yankeearnold.com. That's yankee at yankeearnold.com. Jesus is coming, so keep looking up. Thanks for listening to today's broadcast. We pray that today's message was a blessing to you and your family. You may help support this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Friend, one day it will happen. The trumpet will sound, and we will be changed, caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So live today and every day, believing that the Lord is coming soon, and just keep looking up. Amazing grace amazes me.